This is Unfilter, episode 316 for June 26, 2020. This morning, the country's top doctor is preparing the U.S. for a COVID-19 resurgence. Right. We are now seeing a disturbing surge of infections. This fall and winter is going to be difficult and we need to be prepared for it. Dr. Anthony Fauci and CDC Director Robert Redfield warning Congress about a troubling trend with coronavirus hospitalizations on the rise in 21 states. The next couple of weeks are gonna be critical in our ability to address those surgings that we're seeing in Florida, in Texas, in Arizona, and in other states. Hello, friends, and welcome to 316 of your persistent pandemic podcast, live, well, for me, from Austin, Texas. This episode, I thought I'd come on here and tell you about the grand adventure I was on returning back to the Pacific Northwest. I thought I was missing out on a big opportunity. Here I am, a Seattle native, a Seattle local, born and raised What an opportunity for me to go boots on the ground to chop and get a sense of what was going on. I thought I was thought I was missing out. You know what I mean? But since we have gathered, things have changed here in Austin, Texas. I thought I was missing out on an opportunity. Turns out there's an opportunity here, too, and that is to witness something remarkable. How interesting, too, that I was in ground zero for COVID-19 coming to the States in Washington, in our in our Kenmore town, which is um, famous, I think, uh, been made famous by uh, Costco. Um, and now here we are in Austin, and it seems to be one of the ground zeros for the resurgence, as they're calling it. And I, I am watching Austin panic. I can understand people are afraid, but it has really been something to watch the lockdowns get re-implemented quick all around us as we've been here. It's really it's really been something. Texas, California, and Florida are all seeing a jump in cases. Now, the media reports this a bit as of a mix from testing to hospital cases, but however you want to cut the numbers, they're up. In the nation's three most populous states, things are going from bad to worse. I don't think history is to look back uh, forgivingly upon the United States and Americans for uh, going down this road. California, Florida and Texas breaking records for new cases in a single day. Texas pausing its reopening to, quote, corral the spread of COVID-19. In the greater Houston area, Texas Medical Center's normal ICU capacity is just over 1,300 beds. They currently have five available. We're running out of that time. With the runway is short and our healthcare system is filling up and we need to do everything we can as a community to fight this pandemic. One of the best ways to fight COVID-19, wear a mask. I think it's incredibly unfortunate that this has become so political. Oh, There's yes. No masks. Masks are still a big discussion. Everywhere requires a mask. You can't go into a store without a mask. And... The term being used is we're going to put the reopening on pause. It's not a lockdown again. It's just a pause down. Uh, I work at a federally qualified health center. It's a nonprofit clinic on the east side of town. And well, last Friday, we had an emergency meeting in the evening where we decided to double the amount of capacity available for drive through testing and double the amount of capacity to see patients who have respiratory symptoms. And the reason why we're doing that is that 
look, last as of last night, we have record hospitalizations here in the Austin area, record use of the ICU, uh, and we're seeing the same thing in Houston. And so we are seeing this in real time, community transmission of coronavirus, and it's taxing our system. Now, you have to admit, the timing lines up not with the protests so much, but with the reopening because of the multiple week leg, two week leg or so, you could kind of see it lining up. While all of this is happening, your good buddy, Dr. Fauci, is undergoing uh, a fair bit of uh, rigorous questioning. Well, maybe not so rigorous. California reporting more than 7,000 new confirmed cases in one day. Governor Gavin Newsom asking residents to be cautious, as they were at the start of the pandemic. So you've got Texas, California, and Florida that seem to be the brunt of it. Arizona has been thrown in here, but nothing is close to Texas and California numbers right now. We cannot continue to do what we have done over the last number of weeks. Many of us understandably, developed a little cabin fever. This is the California governor, by the way, not Fauci. We'll get to Fauci. Others have just, frankly, taken down their guard. California is one of the nation's three most populous states experiencing record highs in new coronavirus cases. And Newsom says its hospitals are ready for an influx of patients if needed. California did to lead on a statewide stay-at-home, saved lives, and bought us time to build out our infrastructure. And we have done just that. That's why today we're at roughly 8% capacity in our hospitals. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis once again said no to issuing a statewide mandatory mask order, despite the state health department recommending them. Ultimately, we've got to trust people to make uh, good decisions. This, as one updated model suggests that universal mask wearing could help save more than 33,000 lives by October 1st. And in Texas, more than 4,300 people are hospitalized with the disease. One health expert warns Houston could end up the hardest hit city in the country and other big Texas cities like Dallas and Austin could be deeply impacted, too. So our big metro areas uh, seem to be uh, rising uh, very quickly. And and some of the models are, you know, on the verge of being apocalyptic. Mm, Apocalyptic models. Yeah, we're scaring the hell out of people again. We're back to that mode where we're making sure you're really scared about all of this. Uh, You're not going to accidentally feel comfortable (laughs) with this going on. That's not going to happen. I... um, I note there that Newsom says that the reason why their capacity is so uh, good right now is because of the good work they did during the lockdown. I think this is the root of what's going on, perhaps maybe even why so much attention is being put on the masks. Not not that the masks don't have some value. I'll get there. Don't freak out. God, everybody, don't don't get so easily upset. Jeez, calm down. Um, I, I think what it is, is the lockdowns were insufficient. If you're going to lock down, you really had to go all in. And we just didn't have the political will or honestly the public will to do it. You really had to lock down and you had to do it for a while while this thing settled down. See, it's not, I think framing this as a surge is a mistake. It's a continuation of something that was already rolling. It was already going. And the lockdown was in, we did enough lockdown to really damage the economy, but we didn't do enough lockdown to damage the big Rona. And now we can claim 
that, well, it's because people aren't wearing masks. Those selfish sons of bitches aren't wearing masks. But that's not the reality. Masks play a role. But I think they're also a scapegoat. Because otherwise people would be asking, well, what the hell do we lock down for? If, if, if we didn't avoid anything. And I think that ship sailed when the protests started to happen. When you had all those thousands of people getting in a space like that. I think the effectiveness of the lockdown was dramatically reduced. The benefits of the lockdown were reduced. And then you have other areas that they wanted to get out of this faster. So they, they, they wrapped up the lockdown. Well, I think we just, we never had the will to make the lockdown work in the first place. Because you had certain areas that wanted to wrap it up faster, because it became political, I don't think it was ever going to be a successful trajectory, unfortunately. And if it was going to be successful, it would have required something much more coordinated, which there would have been immense pushback on. And it would have meant these things like protests and things like people wanting to go out in the sun would just have to not happen. And that's just not human nature. And so now we can try to fix it. We can try to, we can try to slow it down by taking countermeasures. But I'm not sure logging down is the right option. It didn't work the first time. Now, the masks, the masks are big here. And they're big back home, too, it sounds like. Well, UW scientists have new projections on the coronavirus outbreak, and they say masks will save thousands of lives. King Fives Kira Alfallon is live this morning in Covington with the latest research and data. Good morning, Kira. Yeah, good morning, Michelle. Well, for stores like Costco here in Covington, it's already a requirement for you to wear one of these inside the store. But starting tomorrow here in Washington State, it will be a requirement for you to wear one of these out in public if six feet of physical distancing is not possible. There are, however, some exceptions. But with the way things are going right now, you'd have researchers predict that more than 179,000 deaths could happen in the U.S. by October as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. So this comes from the university's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. But the computer-based projections anticipate 33,000 lives could be saved in the U.S. between now and October if masks are required. So this would bring the death toll closer to 146,000. So a different computer model out of Johns Hopkins University predicts the cumulative death toll in the U.S. to be 122,000 by October and 480,000 for the entire world by October. So again, you will be required to wear one of these out in public starting tomorrow. If you cannot maintain six feet of social distancing, there are some exceptions. So if you have a medical condition or a disability that prevents you from being able to wear a mask. Nice fucking model! Yeah. Lots of models, lots of models. Got to have the models, got to have the models. So the, the, the mask will save thousands of lives, so we're doing it in Washington. I've, my comments on this in the past have been, um, it seems like the data does suggest it's effective. And additionally, it sends sort of a signal to others around you, which I think there is a, there's a social benefit to it. That's why we get dressed. <laughs> That's why we comb our hair. That's why we adhere to certain social norms. This has sort of become another one of them. The masks have become so controversial, though, of course, that when Fauci was in that hearing earlier today, or actually, as you're getting this, it'd be yesterday, 
And he was asked, well, what about earlier when you didn't recommend mass? Don't you regret that? And Fauci, he wasn't having that crap. Do you now regret not advising people more forcefully to wear masks earlier? Okay, we're going to play that game. Um, let me explain to you what happened back then. Should be a yes or a no. No, there's more than a yes or no by the tone of your question. I don't regret that because let me explain to you what happened. At that time, there was a paucity of equipment that our healthcare providers needed who put themselves daily in harm's way of taking care of people who are ill. We did not want to divert masks and PPE away from them to be used by the people. He's gotten a lot of attention for making that statement. You mean you lied about the mass? You lied? Uh, I speculated exactly that at the time, that likely the, the reality was they do people would freak out and order a whole bunch, which you all did. Well, OK, not you, but you over there. I know you did, along with your toilet paper. So it, could they have handled it better? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it did contribute to some of the mask um, confusion. Let's stop talking about masks. I'm so sick of... I've got more clips on masks. I'm so sick of talking about it. Let's move on. Let's keep going. Let's talk about something else. Let's go back to the economic impact of this whole thing. My, my general thesis at this point is we know about this virus. We have our heads around the enemy. Remember, it was a silent enemy. We're at war. Well, now we know the enemy. We've mapped it. We have ways to test for it. We have ways to treat for it. And we also know what the probability of the critical aspects of this disease are after you've been infected. So I'm going to link in the show notes to a paper published by Cornell University about the probability of symptoms and critical disease after SARS-CoV-2 infection. And they write, and this is just an excerpt and the whole thing's in the notes, uh, also, it was in a recent episode of This Week in Virology, if you want to hear more. But the bit that I'd like you to take away from this is, quote, we have quantified the probability of developing symptoms and critical disease of SARS-CoV-2 positive subjects. 5,484 contacts of COVID-19 were detected in this area of Italy that they analyzed. Uh, pod- positive subjects were ascertained via nasal swabs and other uh, other means. So the typical testing methods. Now, here's the interesting thing, which you will probably care about. 73.9% of all infected individuals aged less than 60 years had no symptoms. With a 95% confidence that they, had, they were sick. Now, the risk of symptoms did increase with age. 6.6, I'm going to say this, say this again, 6.6% of infected subjects older than 60 years had critical disease and then were at higher risk. But I want to read the numbers to you again because they're just so remarkable. 73.9% of all infected individuals aged less than 60 years did not develop any symptoms. 6.6% of infected subjects that were older than 60 years that had critical disease had significantly higher risk to those to some negative symptoms. But the numbers here are not scary. This enemy isn't even all that effective. A lot of the times you don't even know you've had it. 
somebody I know recently thought they were having allergies. They got tested, turned out they had Rona. So we know how dangerous it is, not very. And we know who it is dangerous to, scientifically, we have now studied this and have high confidence, we know what groups are dangerous. I propose to you that the lockdowns don't work simply because of human nature and so many variables that are just out of our control. Protests, crazy-ass weather, things that just get people to leave their homes. You know, the usual things. No, and, and actually, joking aside, it would be things we don't even consider. I mean, did you consider tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of people would go out into the streets? Did, did you did you expect that they'd set up an autonomous zone in Seattle and have a summer of love? I, I didn't see that coming when the lockdown started. So if we lock down again, we're essentially repeating the same failed approach and the virus continues to spread. I mean, even those who are architects of the lockdowns violated them. And there doesn't seem to be the political will to enforce them like an actual lockdown, like the name actually implies, where you are forced to stay in your home. You are locked in. I don't think there's the will to do that. But as these numbers begin to pop back up, because people are out and about, because we are increasing the testing, because there have been protests, as these numbers are going to inevitably go up because of this confluence of events, officials will begin to weigh their different options. And experts will say, we got to lock down. You got to track. You got to trace. You got to do more than pause. You see, it's not just a lack of mass. Harvard's director, a director over at Harvard, he's the director of global health, the Global Health Institute at Harvard, actually, says that really the core issue is we just opened up way too damn soon. And this mistake now, like this Pandora's box, is open. And a number of states are now seeing record numbers of cases over the past week. To help us understand more about all of this, we're joined again by Dr. Ashish Jha, professor and director of Harvard University's Global Health Institute. Dr. Jha, welcome back to the news hour. And let's start with these numbers we're seeing, the surge in infections in a number of states. They have increased testing, many of these states. But what about reopening? What role did reopening? play in contributing to those new numbers? Yeah, so thank you for having me on. Uh, I think there's really little doubt that in many states across the country, we reopened too early. Um, the evidence did not suggest that they were safe to reopen, and then they opened up too aggressively. Uh, and what we're seeing now is the surge in cases that unfortunately many of us worried about and they're happening in large parts of the country. And it's really quite worrisome. And I think we have to act uh, boldly to try to get this under control. We have to act boldly. And we will. We will. Because people are going to be scared shitless soon. It's going to get a lot worse. And the experts will say, lock it down. Track them, trace them, and isolate them. Yeah, so the single biggest thing that I think governors have to do is recognize how serious of a problem this is. And I still don't see that sense of urgency. Um, we have to get ahead of this virus. And that means mandatory mask wearing. It means uh, absolutely canceling any large indoor gatherings, including really rethinking things like restaurants, bars, nightclubs. And then we've got to keep working on ramping up testing and tracing. You know, even this week, we heard from the president that the problem is we're testing too much. No, the problem is we're not testing enough. 
and we're not isolating cases once we find them. And so until we do those things, we're not going to be able to bring these large outbreaks under control. You see, we've got to track, trace and isolate. We've got to because it's going to just continue to spread, he says. There's nothing you can do other than you could just get ready for it. I know this is crazy. We could isolate the vulnerable. And and let's see what happens to the rest. I know it sounds nutty. I know I'm loony Chris now and that I'm going to get all kinds of shit for saying that. But I don't think the lockdown will work again. And I so if I guess if my premise is wrong that the lockdowns would work, then it is it is a loony statement and I would retract it. But I think the lockdowns just won't be effective. And even if the governors see it from the bigger picture, the issue is there will be some in power that will be afraid. They won't they won't know what else to do other than to take what power they've managed to get in all of this and use it to save you. The dramatic spike in COVID-19 cases in Austin and Travis County has local officials looking for new ways to put more restrictions in place. They're trying to strike a balance between doing so and not violating the governor's reopening orders. Senior reporter Tony Pohetsky is here now with some insight on what they may be considering. Tony? Hey, Terry, you may remember that officials in Bear County in San Antonio recently figured out that they could require businesses to mandate masks for their customers without running afoul of the governor's orders. Well, now officials here in Austin are going through the governor's order line by line, word by word, trying to figure out if there is any gap that would allow them to impose more rules. So picture this. Picture this. The only thing that's really going to work would be an, an organized, coordinated response, because otherwise it's too confusing for the people. Businesses won't know who's, who's OK to open and who's won't. It just won't work. Right. But they're so afraid that they're sitting together, maybe over a Zoom call, going through the governor's letter and words, word by word, trying to find a loophole to seize power. Some of the things they are looking at is whether they can put local capacity ordinances in place for restaurants that may be lower than what is in place now. Another possibility would be coming up with rules about socially distant tables for restaurants that would allow them to put those tables on sidewalks or in other public areas to give them more space. Local officials do remain concerned about bars, so they are trying to see if they can impose other restrictions on those businesses specifically. But I'm told that if all else fails and our numbers continue to spike, local leaders will use all legal means necessary to put measures in place to protect the community, even if that does mean being in conflict with the governor's orders. Again, these are all things that local leaders are talking about. No decisions have been made. About I would propose to you that the people have spoken on this matter. The number of cases you're seeing go up are the result of people having made a decision. They did the lockdown, they decided it's over, and now they're going back and they're taking the risks. And some will get sick and some will even die. And th for those families, it will be very sad. I I just recently lost, uh, in the last few, last week, lost a family member. I lost an uncle. Um, I don't know if it's due to uh, coronavirus yet. Also, uh, we've lost the family diner that's being shut down. And um, they're done. 30-something years. 
in downtown Seattle. Right by the stadium. Done. So I think maybe the people have spoken. But they don't care. Local leaders don't care. I think when people decided to go protest, when people decided to go to the beach, when people decided to go back to restaurants, they had an internal discussion in their families and with themselves, and they said, life is full of risks. And they said all these cliche things that you've heard over and over again, that if you are scared by all of this, infuriate you. And if you're not scared by it, seem like common practical sense to you. And there are these two worlds, and I've seen it here in Austin. I've had conversations with individuals who um, have canceled meetings with me while I'm bent down here. And that's fine. If you're not comfortable, I'm totally okay with that. And I've had conversations with others who think it's some sort of shared insanity. And I was going, I, 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 I also myself, I, I kind of switch between the two. Um, sort of spend a little time in one camp, think about it a little bit, and I spend a little bit of time in another camp. But I do feel like the lockdowns were not effective for various reasons, including some places probably opened too early. I don't know. And other things that we've covered. And I think going back into a lockdown not only will be fairly ineffective for fighting the coronavirus, but the economic impact will be devastating. Just devastating. Just devastating in a way that could impact us for generations. Perhaps, perhaps ultimately, perhaps impact us in a way that could even lead to serious, serious strife in this country. I've never said these words seriously before in my life. But after some of the conversations I've had in this last week and how I have seen people on either side of these issues handle them. I could actually see something of some sort of modern civil war happening. And I've never said those words before. I've, I've always rolled my eyes when people have said, oh, a civil war is coming. I've always thought that was ridiculous. But I mean, you crash the economy. You really tank this sucker. You really tank it. There's going to be a lot of people out of work with nothing better to do than try to break shit. And it may happen even voluntarily. People will start voluntarily closing their businesses down. And mayors, local mayors, will override governors. And governors will override whoever they feel like. And you'll have every little petty, mediocre person that's grabbed power exercise it to be your savior. And companies, on top of all of the political virtue signaling themselves, will make it worse. Sir, this news just coming in from Apple that it will temporarily reclose uh, seven stores in Houston, Texas due to the COVID-19 spike. Uh, remember, Apple did temporarily uh, say it was going to reclose 11 last week. So 18 stores now that Apple has temporarily uh, reclosed for this reason. That means uh, more than 200 of the 271 Apple stores are open here in the U.S. Though, of course, remember when we say open, uh, many of those stores are open for curbside pickup. Only. It's been something Apple here. In Austin, um, trying to rent studio space has been impossible. Co-office, working space, they're all closed. And, um, yeah, you know, oh, well, I'll get over it. It's not the end of the world. I make do. Um, it's just been really something. I've never witnessed anything quite like it. And I think, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the negatives. But, I mean, if you like the stimulus packages, if you like government handouts, if you like those uh, Trump checks... 
Well, there could be a positive side to this uh, surge news. Kevin, how does this new surge in the virus, particularly in Florida, a key battleground state, even Arizona, I can put in that group. But how does a virus in Florida change the next stimulus debate? I think it it puts pressure on Republicans to get some type of economic stimulus through before November. Look, President Trump has laid this out very clearly in public comments, Tom, that he made uh, to reporters yesterday saying that he is in favor of there being another round of economic stimulus. Now, that's going to open up some uh, different divisions within the Republican Party, many of whom say that as states reopen, that's the best type of stimulus for them. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's going to be harder and harder. Um, so maybe, maybe in a new round of my fantasy, if I could just, you know, pull the money lever and have, if, if the federal government was going to just spend, 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 and, and, um, and do this anyways, I would be interested to see what they could do with infrastructure, having driven across a lot of, uh, roads that could use a lot of help and a lot of bridges that look like they're barely hanging on. Uh, as I go from uh, even just this last trip, my God, New Mexico, my God, what's the matter with you? I will never forget. I will never forget. And I will never forgive New Mexico for what they did to my RV. What a disaster. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be too upset to see if they're going to print the money. Maybe it could go towards, maybe it could go towards infrastructure. Well, a little showception. We haven't done this for a bit. Patreon.com slash unfilter. If you have found these shows to be interesting or valuable, I'd really appreciate your support at our Patreon. Patreon.com slash unfilter. I've been thinking about these last few weeks. And I've wanted Unfilter to have a unique voice in what I assume is probably a chorus of coverage that you have been following. Um, But I've wanted to also have enough coverage in here that if you're only following one source, it could be the Unfiltered Show. That has meant at times there's been certain topics and sort of meta conversations that have been left out of the show. My intention is to track those and either A, if they develop and branch into a wider story, kind of do a retrospective back to the beginning, the origin of it, or B, circle back at some point maybe some Patreon uh, discussions to kind of get some ideas on what we'd like to see and do some specials on some of this after some some distance. And I'll decide then if it seems appropriate or if we have moved on and it's irrelevant. If we get down the road, there's some distance, we have a better idea, a better picture of the state of the world and where things are at, and I think it's still necessary or I still think it could be beneficial, it's worth documenting here on the People's History Podcast, I'll go circle back and do that. There's so much to cover right now that I've wanted to bring something unique to this conversation that um, wasn't trying to be the end-all coverage, but is trying to capture the most important essential things that happen in each week. So that's been my goal. But if you felt like something's been missing, that conversation is open, and I am looking at going back and doing a retrospective of some of the events that have happened over the last few weeks. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, maybe it's not going to be necessary or maybe it very much will. But it's something that's been on my mind. And so I figured I'd share it with you here in the uh, showception section. Patreon.com slash unfilter. And also, um, if you're not in a position to financially support or if you would like to do more, just spreading the show to somebody who you think would be receptive to a podcast like this. It means everything. Word of mouth is really the only marketing that works for podcasts. 
you know, we can we can maybe get a few people to find it on Twitter. And of course, some people searching for certain topics will find it in podcast directories. But all that pales in comparison to how much you can help by letting someone else know, by linking something, sending a time code, or leaving a review in a podcast directory so someone else finds it. That stuff helps a ton. Okay, let's restart the show. Well, since the last time we got together, things in Chop have gone from iffy to real, real bad. And Chop is coming to an end. But it just took some street violence to get us here. Unfortunately, exactly like I said it would several weeks ago. First, the pushback police face trying to investigate a deadly shooting in the Capitol Hill occupied protest area, or Chop. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Lindsay Sheldon. A teenager was shot and killed inside Capitol Hill's organized protest zone, and another person was injured. New video shows police trying to respond and protesters pushing back. Camera 7's Jessica is live on Capitol Hill tonight. Jessica, police are still searching for the suspect. Lindsay and protesters told us that they were alarmed to hear that not one but two people were shot actually at Cal Anderson, which is inside CHOP. Uh, one person is dead and the other is recovering. And protesters tonight had a message for those who think violence reigns here. That shooting last night took, is going to take away from the message. Violence isn't what Capitol Hill's organized protest stands for, and the people who are out here keeping an eye on CHOP wanted to make that very clear as they processed the killing of a teenage protester. When I woke up this morning and I found out about it, it broke my heart. It's unfortunate. Friends identified the 19-year-old victim as Lorenzo Anderson, a local rapper who goes by Lil Mob. Seattle police say he was one of two people shot near 10th and Pine early Saturday morning. Turns out over the weekend, there was a total of three shootings. Only one died, little mob. And it's horrendously sad what happened because not only is it a shame to see violence like that happen in the zone, completely undermining their message, as that person said in the clip, but then they didn't want the cops in, and they didn't call the cops right away. And the details are still vague. They're pretty much just pieced together on social media. But they brought the boy's bleeding body into a taco shop. Taco shop that uh, if you're in the Seattle area, you, you've probably been to before. And they let him bleed out and die in this taco shop until his brother came looking for him. I wasn't here last night. Uh, I got the call around like one o'clock in the morning. I rushed down here and the police weren't even down here yet. There wasn't no police down here, nothing yet. My little brother was in a tent. They, they hid my little brother from me for the longest. I thought my little brother was in a, at, at a hospital. They hid my little brother from me for the longest. I didn't, I didn't see where they had my little brother at until about nine o'clock this morning and the table was covered in blood. And they told me that that, 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 that table wasn't covered in my little brother's blood. Well, my little brother was the only one that died here. My little brother was the only one that was carried to a table here. The other victim drove themselves to the hospital. So why did they lie to me about what was on that table? You know what I'm saying? It's on a good group of, of people. Uh, there's another moment uh, where uh, a man was uh, live streaming. He became threatened and then detained by the protesters. They detained him against his will. I'm going to take them. It's not a video, stop. dude. Stop. Okay, stop. I'm heading out. I'm no, heading no, out. No. You're going to stop. No, it's a... Ow, ow. You're going to delete Help. them. 
What do you mean help, bro? Who's gonna help? It's in this moment, captured on video, Sean Whiting says he experienced fear he hadn't felt before at CHOP. It was just kind of pure terror in the moment. For several weeks, the 32-year-old downtown gamer has been live streaming the CHOP protest. But yesterday, he says, while he was streaming in an area with tents in Cal Anderson Park, a man comes up to him and tells him not to film. You see these signs? Right, right, I'm not getting people though. Like, what's the problem with the tents? This is where I live. Right, but it's our houses. It's a tent. Can I come to your house and take photos at your house? No, but my house isn't a public park. This is not a public park anymore. This is chop zone, you know that. The confrontation continues. I'm telling you this and you respect what I'm saying. Yeah, dude. I'm For not... your own safety. Sean says when he tried to leave. He had a good hold of me from behind and um, wasn't letting me leave. Sean says he was forced to delete the video. I've seen people with weapons. I don't know if he was going to, you know, put a knife in me or put a gun to my back. I had no idea what was going to happen. I showed one of the protest leaders, Maurice Cola, the video. He's denouncing it. That's not beneficial and trying to assault people who are just trying to document. It's not OK. This that's is always the line. Oh, that's not we don't we don't condone that. We don't condone that. Um, but there's still armed militia members. And when somebody causes a problem, they'll threaten to even even just the threat of having the militia members deal with you is enough generally. The whole thing is, it, it was, and still is, a hot mess. Um, I love the idea. I love the idea of trying to make a, a, a place that has some value, that makes a statement, and using it as leverage to, to advocate for change, to get people in power to change. Especially in a place like Seattle, where the mayor and the governor, they were going to play ball. They were going to play ball all summer long. Confusion in the Capitol Hill organized protest zone. Overnight, some people started packing up and moving out of Cal Anderson Park. But the question is, where are they headed? Some say the Space Needle. Others in the so-called CHOP say they're not going anywhere. But after three shootings in four days, one thing protesters can agree on is no more violence. Callie Greenberg is live in Seattle where police say... This is the beginning of the end for the protest area. But, Kelly, have police said how they plan to move back in and when? Not publicly, which has led to a lot of rumors on social media about what is going to happen. Things are quiet right now here in Capitol Hill. But Yeah, to recap, the mayor has said we're sending the police back in because their precinct is in there. But hasn't said when. And it's been about five days. What we've been hearing from social media is that some protesters are going home. Others are moving locations. Some are moving right in front of the East Precinct, holding guard. But again, no information has been released to the public about how or when the police plan to move back into the East Precinct. All we know is they said it would happen, quote, in the near future. What we do know is that the city and police have asked protesters to peacefully protest during the day and then go home at night. This request was made a few days ago, but people continue to camp in and around Cal Anderson Park, and the police say they have numerous reports of violent activity. Now, this includes three shootings that we've reported. There are four gunshot victims in those shootings, including a 19-year-old who was killed. We spoke to one of CHOP's volunteer overnight security guards. He supports the movement. He believes in CHOP, but agrees with the mayor that people should go home when the sun goes down. We don't want violence. We don't want people coming in that think they got immunity. We don't want no, no sexual assault. We don't want nobody raping, hurting, killing, no gunshots. People come down there and they push the envelope. I can't tell you how many times I don't use my mace. 
Mm, don't push the envelope. The um, coverage is usually fairly balanced. Uh, I mean, I don't know about balanced, but informational uh, from the local news. But you can hear real uh, glee in the hosts over at Fox News when they cover CHOP. Fox News alert now. Seattle's mayor announcing the dismantling of the CHOP zone earlier this week. But guess what? Some protesters refusing to leave. As we're learning new information, many shop owners in that zone now plan to sue the city for abandoning their neighborhood. While one of the CHOP shooting victims is considering suing the police for not responding to him quickly enough. Let's bring in Dan Henninger. He's deputy editor for the Wall Street Journal editorial page, of course. Dan, they always bring in conservatives. Um, of course, it's Fox. Big shocker, right? But when uh, Cucker Tuckerson has on his man on the ground in CHOP, it is, of course, the most right-leaning radio station host that we have in the Seattle area, right? There's plenty of progressives on the radio in Seattle, and uh, Tucker isn't asking one of them to come on the show. And old... Uh, Ed there. You can hear the glee in his voice in his Fox News report. Fox News alert now. Seattle's mayor announcing the dismantling of the chop zone earlier this week. There's so much there's so much glee in in their coverage of this catastrophe. Um, I almost wanted to see it work just to just to piss off the host at Fox. (laughs) Because, you know, I think I mean, I think while it has been um pretty ineffective and they undermined their own message and it was overrun by homeless and crazies there was an idea to it that has taken off like we talked about uh, in philly and there's other there's other autonomous zones that have been setting up it's it's been a part of conversation here in austin people i've talked to are fully aware of what's going on up there they're following it pretty closely dc protesters attempted to set up a chop zone and take down some statues and then immediately got their ass beat get down if you're done the cops are coming the cops are coming <laughs> Get out of here. Get off the statue. The cops are coming. And there was just none of that. But it has some legs, the idea. And I don't know what what the timeline is on these kinds of revolutions, but I feel like you could draw a pretty straight line to Occupy Wall Street, to college protests, college campus protests, like the ones at Evergreen, but... Just many that you've heard about where students have have mobbed up and gotten professors fired. Um, And now those college students have graduated. And I think you can see this range of personalities that are involved in these protests from from young people to people that have been here before. There is an individual in Seattle. I think it's in Seattle. I'll look it up. I'll play this clip of her. I, I just as to give you an example of she was in Occupy Wall Street and now she uh, is in government and she is all about essentially tearing that government down. Um, and I'll, and this these people, if that's the best way to put it, um, represent a large group of people from people who were in Occupy, from people who were in schools to people who are out of school now. They're kind of all forming now as one group that wants to see dramatic change in society. And for a different kind of society that is free of police, racism and oppression entirely. 
Let's begin. Let's begin by continuing to win reforms and even more radical reforms at the same time understanding as Malcolm X said you cannot have capitalism without racism so if we want to end racism we are going to have to fight like hell to win the reforms but we have to fight to end the system of capitalism itself and fight and fight for a wall all right so i'm going to stop here um she uh, counsel this councilwoman uh, Kashma. I'm sorry, I'm getting the name wrong. Kashman Sawant, uh, Kashma Sawant. She's 46 years old. Um, she was pretty pivotal in getting Chaz slash Chop rolling. She also you may you may recall the Seattle City Council tried to pass a head tax on Amazon to tax them to then take that money and use it for uh, social purposes. And then Amazon threatened to leave. And then the Seattle council had to walk that back. That was her plan. This was, this was, this was her, we've talked about her before on the show. She became, as far as I know, she remains the first socialist to be elected to Seattle city council. She was elected in 2013. Uh, She's a Bernie supporter. And she, she is very outspoken about the current model of society and I think represents the broader goals that have started with protests about the murder of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter into a broader context that is about the very society that enables those kinds of cops and all of the other issues that we have with the modern American society. Fight for a world that is based on equality. And that would be a socialist world. And that can only begin when the working class as a whole fights to take democratic public control over the major corporations because when you don't own the wealth, you don't own the power. So let's fight. No justice. No justice. No racist. No racist. Solidarity. She's been active since Occupy Wall Street back in 2013. She figured out she needed to get involved in government. She got on the Seattle City Council, which where she remains. And I don't think that mindset is going away. I don't think it's going to diminish. And I think with social networking and the Internet, groups who feel like this across the country can now connect across the world, even can connect where they may have been in their own isolated chambers discussing these ideas. Now they can connect on a broader context and economic pressure is headed our way in a really really big way, especially if the lockdowns continue. And it will give more voice to that opinion. Now, earlier when I said I felt ridiculous saying a civil war is coming, I don't know if I feel so ridiculous after hearing that clip. So if we want to end racism, we are going to have to fight like hell to win the reforms, but we have to fight to end the system of capitalism itself and fight and fight for a world. Fight for a world that is based on equality. And that would be a socialist world. And that can only begin. I don't know. I don't know if that goes away. I don't think it does. I think it's been building for years. And it's going to come to some kind of head. And I say, when I say civil war, I don't mean like the traditional, you know, <laughs> bayonets and. Uh, fighting in the fields, it's going to be, it'd be completely different. Something completely different. 
You need a good, you need, you need clarity in times like this. You need good leadership. You need a horse and someone that can ride it to win the race. Because like we learned with George Bush, you don't change horses mid-race. And that's why the people of Russia are getting ready to vote on an amendment to allow Putin to serve until 2036. So you see, friends, while so much changes, so much will still the same, still be the same. Like your good buddy, Vlad. For all its pomp and circumstance, this is not the Victory Day parade that President Putin was hoping for, not even second time round. Russia is still mid-pandemic. More than a dozen cities called off their parades again because of concerns about COVID. These veterans bust in fresh from two weeks self-isolation to make sure they and the president stay safe. But rallying patriotic fervor through the memory of World War II and the Soviet Union's colossal loss of life there is a tried and tested Putin tactic. And he has a vote to win on changing Russia's constitution. Well, that does bring me to the end of 316. Perhaps the last episode from Austin, Texas, too. I am planning to get back on the road, head towards Denver. However, there has been some discussion about two-week isolation periods when you cross state lines. That would put a real a real crimp in the old travel plans, so we'll see. I'll make do either way. At least I have the family with me. And let's be honest, I got Levi the dog with me. He's a good podcast buddy. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode. I'd love to have you join the conversation. So it's not done. It continues. Unfilter.show slash Discord. While I'm on the road, I, I tend to make it in about once a day. And then when I'm back up at the home base, working out of the studio or working out of the RV, I try to get in there multiple times a day. You know, there's no platform to deplatform the Unfilter show when you subscribe directly to unfilter.show slash subscribe. Pop that in your podcatcher. And then you're just pulling that feed direct. Thanks again to everybody who supports this on the Patreon, patreon.com slash unfilter. And those of you who help spread the word or leave a review. Of course, the Apple podcast directory is the number one, like, bang for the buck. And we don't have a lot of Apple podcast listeners. So if you're out there and have access to that app and want to leave us a little review, well, that'd be mighty fine. (laughs) I suppose whatever happens, I'll have another episode for you. There's a lot going on for the people's history to document. So I'll be back with 317. Maybe from Denver, maybe from quarantine, or maybe I'll just stay right here in Austin. I'm not sure. Stay tuned and find out. In the meantime, links to a lot of things, some context to our conversation today, data about masks, all of it in the show notes on filter.show slash 316. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of The Unfilter Show. I'll see you right back here next week. We may need some faith healers. (laughs) Mommy needs a joint.